0: UiPath is an enterprise automation software company and we have started a journey to automating business processes by using a unique flavor and that consists of emulating how people work. In most systems, the data is not in a human readable format. It's not easy to understand. Data has a much better human format if you look in, from the user interface perspective. People have coded a lot of metadata in the interface itself. To us, always, RPA was meant as an um, entry, as a gate to enterprise. People don't want to do this type of tasks that we are automating. So we are talking with few customers as automation as a perk for their employees, helping them becoming uh, literate in building automations will improve clearly their careers.
1: This is Siana TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Daniel Dines, who is the founder and CEO of UiPath. A very warm welcome, Daniel.
0: Thank you so much, Hendrik. Thank you so much for having me here.
1: Daniel, you grew up in Romania. You have a master's degree in mathematics and computer science from the University of Bucharest, and you moved to the US in 2001 to work for Microsoft. You went back home in 2005 where you started your own company, UiPath, and that uh, you moved the headquarters of that company uh, to New York City in 2018. So Daniel, you are known as the boss of the bots, but tell us in a couple of sentences, how would you describe your own company? How would you describe UiPath? What is really unique about your organization?
0: UiPath is an enterprise automation software company Mm -hmm. and we have started the the journey to automating business processes by using a unique flavor and that consists of emulating how people works. Mm -hmm. We use a lot of computer vision uh, technologies in order to see the screen of computers more like a human user is seeing and we can Emulate all the steps you can normally do to complete a task. Like paying an invoice or entering information into an ERP system. And there are many across different industries, different departments in a company.
1: So Daniel, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What is your background and what are really the beginnings of UiPath and where is the company going now?
0: Well, I was born in... Romania. Mm -hmm. My early life was mostly about, uh, you know, reading. That was my first passion in life, not math or computer science. But in the communist Romania, it was very difficult to make a career as a writer, especially, you know, it's been a lot of bullshit to, to get there. So I basically gathered any talent left for math. And I went to the university where I studied uh, math and computer science, and uh, that led me to, I think, uh, a good career. Because early on, I, I got an uh, offer from Microsoft, so I moved to Seattle, where I lived for five years. I worked in Microsoft on a very for a very interesting uh, product group. It's called the SQL Server, Microsoft database. I know that many CIOs are very familiar with this technology, and it helped me to understand how to build enterprise-grade products. What do do customers kind of expect for enterprise-grade? But five years later, I took the crazy decision to move back to Romania. It was, you know, because of... Various reasons, personal reasons, also professional reasons. I thought at that time, because my bad English and you know I didn't accommodate so well there in Seattle. I thought mm-hmm. that my career has stalled. So I believe you know it's the right time to come back. You know, try to start a company. It's been uh, mm-hmm. ten difficult years after I started. We have not found the product market fit from the beginning. So basically we, I got a few people that follow me and we bootstrap the company using consulting work, but all the money that we made from consulting we put into building different products. We started something in consumer, didn't work, but we discovered as part of this initial products we build this small library that is about computer vision, understanding screens of other applications. And we discovered this is something that actually we can sell to other software companies. So this is how we pivoted, you know, in after five years to a fully product company. And uh, the first time when we seen a kind of the light at the end of the tunnel was around beginning of 2014, when we have started to work with BPO companies that were using our technology to you know to automate the manual work that their people were doing and then in 2015 we um, raised our seed round so we got some good uh, investors in uh, in the company that helped tremendously and from 2015 to now we grew it's been one of the fastest uh, growing and enterprise software ever to put things in perspective. In July, 2015, we were still like 10 people in a small flat in Bucharest. And now we are uh, really, if we look at the last quarter, we are like uh, more than 800 million in uh, recurring revenue, growing 59% quarter over quarter. And uh, we have more than 4,000 people in the company now. It's been, you know, quite some. It's been quite a ride, I think, the last seven years.
1: That's an amazing story, an amazing ride. So, so tell us a little bit about the pains and, and the secrets that you have to to grow so fast, because that must be very very painful. that's, that's very difficult. So, so what's your secret in building your organization so fast?
0: Well, the secret sauce, it's a combination of a, a bit of a craziness and uh, some sort of laziness, because I always said about myself, I'm a lazy guy. And in turn, being lazy helps because you tend to delegate. I'm not a control freak at all. I'm the opposite. I'm For me, it's very easy to delegate. And also, it's very easy to trust people. I, I believe trust is essential. I've seen many companies that cannot scale because they uh, they have a trust issue so they basically hire mostly people on their own tribe if i can say like this but we scaled really across the globe you know from day one so we are one of the few companies that scale simultaneously and almost our revenue was for longer time almost equally split between us EMEA and APAC. So we scale simultaneously. And we hire leaders all across the world. So this is, I think, my biggest realization in life, if you want, just building a very diverse team, very diverse cultures, they work very well together and kind of speed up the company.
1: Now, Daniel, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the topic of the data economy. Uh, so um, our organizations, they have been gathering um, huge amounts of data and the amounts of data are growing uh, every day. And and so they need to get value out of that and they need, companies need to monetize uh, that data. They need to optimize the processes, monetize the data. So how do you look at this and how do uh, companies really be, can be successful by leveraging the value of the data that they have.
0: I can talk about our approach to help companies, mm-hmm. you know, look at their data. First of all, we all know data is, uh, is really in many different systems. It's not just one system. Many companies are trying to build data lakes, but it's a difficult endeavor. Mm-hmm. And in most systems, the data is not in a human readable format. It's not easy to understand. If you look at the data in SAP, for instance, it's very difficult to look at the tables in SAP and understand what's there. But where we can help? Data has a much better human format if you look in from the user interface perspective. People have coded a lot of metadata in the interface itself that you don't find at the data level, in the database level. So our robots are capable of navigating different systems, gather data from the user interface, equally well as using APIs, but this data is annotated. It's it, it's a data that has the metadata, so makes it much easier to kind of store it in a data lake. It's in a way we kind of free people from being uh, prisoners of this you know, system of records because we, we can take everything they have and put them into a data lake and then use you know, powerful analytics on data that makes sense already. People spend a lot of time on curating data, but our robots get the data already curated from the user interface itself. I hope it makes sense yep. for you. Henry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And where do you see the role of, of the CIO and, and and the IT department is in this do they need to build like competence centers where they can automate and build robots uh, or do you also believe in, in in the concept where everybody in a company should have their own personal robot? Well,
0: we believe in uh, both. The role of mm-hmm. uh, the CIOs and the you know IT is uh, it's mostly about uh, build you know running the systems running RPA and automation it's a big enterprise system it's not a simple product tool you install on your desktop it's a big system it offers a lot of governance uh, tools you know across the automation it it prevents you building spaghetti automations so it has to run under the governance of CIO and ITs now I've seen after this is, this is a must. but I've seen in terms of who builds and who maintained the automation, I've seen different models. It's, it can start from IT. So we, we work a lot with IT for IT automation projects, no. or application testing projects, so which are mm-hmm. really typically IT. On the business side, I've seen uh, many times center of excellences built by businesses where they attract both kind of uh, professional developers that are using our technology, but also citizen developers that are capable of uh, automating really small, simple use cases. So in, uh, in conclusion, the... This technology is, is at the intersection of business and IT, and it's, for us, it's essential they collaborate well. and Also, it's essential mm-hmm. that we have uh, both a bottom-up and a top-down dynamic in order to achieve the velocity to go fast across an entire big enterprise.
1: Okay. Now, I, I can see a lot of opportunity to make processes more efficient, and cheaper and take away repetitive tasks from people do you also have good examples where these robots are used to really do innovative work and 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 do new uh, new things that are impossible uh, w- without uh, without your software
0: well i think it's like uh, in all technologies the the robot itself it's not uh, it's not really Intelligent in the sense of a human user. The robot can emulate Mm -hmm. more like repetitive tasks. And also the robot can be trained to make routine decisions. So, you know, giving a small loan, up to a thousand dollars or something, you build the machine learning model and then you train it, and then the robot will use the model and will offer the loan if some part. But that this is not, I don't call it truly intelligence really so mm-hmm. what our our robots actually help people to clear somehow their daily plate of tasks of the low value repetitive tasks and let them focus on more, much more high value tasks like making you know create being being creative our robots are not creative making strategic decisions talking to other people, you know, communicating well, talking to customers. This is way more, It, it brings this type of task bring way more value to an enterprise than the task that we automate.
1: Now, we see a lot of organizations that have built their first robots, that have the first 10 or 20 or 100 FTEs, robot FTEs working for them. But some companies are, are struggling to really scale this because um, research shows that you could... Uh, automate 40, 50, 60% of back-office processes. What is, what is holding companies back today to really scale and go and, and go full uh, in this?
0: I think technology at this point is ready. It's not a technology mm-hmm. issue. But always a huge deployment across enterprise. It's not necessarily an easy task. So here we... Uh, first of all there is the specific of, of the automation it's not like when you bring like communication system like email or slack or teams or you it's a few months project but you enlist everyone on the enterprise right on automation you need to identify processes that can be subject to Automation and this is one of the bottlenecks. And then you create a pipeline of opportunities, and then you go one after the other. So it's it's naturally a longer, you know, kind of uh, approach. And we don't believe there is an end to this approach. So you continue to this. And our, if you look at uh, some of our, uh, you know, revenue metrics, our net retention rate it's more than it's 144 percent it's more than so we aim to be more than 140 percent which is huge that means that our existing customers you know increase the adoption of our technology in excess of 40 percent year over year this Mm -hmm. is there are very few companies that can achieve this but in the same time we need, it's essential for an enterprise to have an executive sponsor. CIO can be an amazing executive sponsor for us to push the automation agenda across you know, different business lines.
1: Now, we st- I mean, we're in a special times, right? Uh, I mean, we're coming out of the pandemic and so people are reconsidering how they work. And so uh, we're talking about the, re- the great resignation and people are, are, are fed up with, with boring jobs. Where do you see the role of, of robots and, and RPA in this? How, how, do you can, how can you give people more uh, and more interesting work? Look, you, you raised the
0: ball, really, to me <laughs> in, uh, with this question. It's, uh, it, it's actually a great uh, tailwind for us, this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And it helps us on, uh, you know, on multiple plans. First of all people realize more and more that they need to automate routine tasks. I've seen, you know, one of our uh, client, an insurance company, they had like 800 open positions for data entry, which is huge. So crazy. they yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So they need so the awareness to bring automation is huge. Also it's it's an you made an important point. People don't want to do this type of tasks that we are automating. So, we are talking with few customers as automation as a perk for their employees. Helping them becoming uh, literate in building automations will improve clearly their careers. For instance, you know, I was talking recently with uh, with a sizable investment bank here in New York. And uh, they told me in the last 12 months, we had 40% attrition, which is kind of unheard of. And it's a good wow. investment bank. It's, so now they, we are, they are considering offering a robot as a perk to all employees to retain the talent and being capable to attract new talent. So I think it's, it's both a way to cope with the real pressure from the, you know, lack of labor out there, lack of specialized labor, and to attract talent and retain talent. It's very important.
1: So Daniel, some of the, our CIOs are still hesitating to, uh, to debark on this automation journey. What, what, what will you say to them?
0: Yeah, I heard many times that you know RPA is like a Band-Aid or lipstick on the pig type of technology. <laughs> but on the other side, it's the only technology that can go to a long distance to the long tail of manual tasks out there. The only alternative to RPA is manual work. There mm-hmm. is no other. Of course, we will digitally transform and gradually this task will be eliminated but that might take decades it's not something that will happen you know just year over year but to us always rpa was meant as an um, entry as a gate to enterprise our our goal and my goal is to build a full-fledged automation platform and this is what we started to delivered since 2018 when we announced our platform and at this point UiPath offered the most comprehensive automation platform that combines the best-in-class API automation with best-in-class computer vision automation this is extremely powerful for CIOs because I, I believe you will need to have both and why would you build competency in both, or someone that understands, we, it's it's the same type of low code/no code workflow automation that powers both approaches in our world. So I think it's extremely powerful for CIOs to adopt, you know, an end-to-end powerful platform that will give them all tools and resources to automate almost everything that it's automatable today.
1: Daniel, you sp- you speak with a lot of top digital leaders, top CIOs around the world, right? And so if, if you look at what they're doing and what they're focusing today, what would be the advice that you would give them to, to further build more data centric companies and, and really create a data economy for their, their organization?
0: I think there are a few trends that are really, really powerful together cloud it's obviously one big trend and i would say low code no code application building and automation building it's another huge trend i've seen uh, i've seen big enterprises that have like 4000 custom apps it's a nightmare to maintain 4000 so it's it's clearly it's a move to move them to cloud to bring as much automation into it to build them more on low-code, no-code tools that are easy to maintain. I mean, this is two. This I see really cloud and low-code, no-code and automation as a very powerful, you know, converging trends.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your leadership style because I'm, I mean, I'm seriously impressed of what you've built. And you already shared that you're a little bit crazy and a little bit lazy, which is quite amazing. So <laughs> if, if we would ask people around you, Uh, On 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 your leadership style. What do you think that they will say about you when you're not around?
0: Well, (laughs) (laughs) well, maybe sometimes they will need more support from me because I'm not such Mm -hmm. an, uh, you know operator guy. But I am I'm very engaged in the business, Henry. I uh, what uh, what I like to do. It's not I don't like to lead by using only my executive team. So I, I, Mm -hmm. of course, it's natural because I I built this company from scratch. So I connect with many people and they gave me a good perspective of the company. So I always look at their perspective. So my, my philosophy is that you have to prevent before something extends into a big issue. It's like cancer. The only way to, the best way to deal with cancer is to discover it early on, and then it's easy to fix. It's the same in a big company. You discover a problem early on before it spreads, and you fix it, and then uh, you are in a much better shape. But you cannot discover if you don't have your eyes, you know, if you don't have your scanner of the company. And I try to encourage... People always, don't obey the authority, speak your mind, always. If you are convinced of something, go and, sp- and speak your mind. Don't be, don't be afraid. We, we are, I think, the only company that I know at this size that still maintains you know, an anonymous feedback channel in the company. So everybody that has a corporate account can go and comment, but it's, 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 uh, it's anonymous because it goes through a mm-hmm. proxy so not even myself i don't know who is who is writing and it prevents people for bad behavior it's like in a way i'm always telling my my uh, leaders guys behave like your actions will be published tomorrow in new york times or whatever or CIO Net. so mm-hmm. and i think that leads on a long time, I think that leads to a better company. Than, because of course, sometimes maybe you can't argue for a tactic that it's it's better to keep it from the company. But longer time, I think transparency wins. So I my aim is to build a very open, transparent company.
1: Okay. Now, what is it that drives you, um, Daniel? Because... Originally, you wanted to become a writer, and now you're a CEO of an enterprise software company. So, so what is it in, in, inherently that drives you that makes you happy?
0: Well, I'm rarely happy. I, <laughs> I, Henry, I personally don't believe in happiness. I, I believe the pursuit of happiness in itself it's a mistake. Happiness is a byproduct of doing the things that matter. And yeah, so I think that I this is my destiny to, to build this. It's, it came to me, it's, it's, really, it's really something ingrained in myself. Mm-hmm. It makes me happy or not. I don't think this is the real point, but makes me feel better rather than not what I am doing.
1: Okay. Now the four values that you associate with your company is, that, is, is to be humble, to be bold, immersive, and fast. That's uh, what we learned from your website. Can you elaborate a little bit on these core values of your company?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting for your audience to, to give you perspective, historical perspective, how we got to these values. So when we were still a small company, but on the verge of growing like 2014, 15, 16, we were uh, really looking at what, what are our values? How, how do you want to shape this company? So, we mm-hmm. were really very impressed by the work of Netflix, and they had this uh, corporate culture. It's, you know, 100 slides from Netflix. It's quite amazing how they describe their company. So, we were heavily influenced by, uh, by Netflix uh, ideas. But when we talk about values, we were thinking always, what is? We are honest. We are transparent. We we want to build an open software, and uh, we we are laid-back type of people. We don't like you know big bosses with big visions that tell us what to do. All sorts. But you eventually end up with many values that I I think kind of they they are dilutive. So I I was uh, thinking hard, and I reached. Uh, you know, at some point, an idea about if we have to choose only one value, one thing, one Mm -hmm. word that defines us, what would be that word? And then I I looked deeply into who we are and why we are here, how it's possible a bunch of, you know, engineers, you know, were capable of winning in the enterprise market. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... To me, one thing was our uh, competitors much bigger than us were quite arrogant with customers. We got our early customers because our competitors were simply arrogant and they customers don't stand arrogance. And then I, Mm -hmm. I learned also to swallow my engineering pride and that was a big thing for me. To pivot from being a proud engineer building you know, the most amazing features into someone looking to the customers, say, thank you for using our product, which is amazing, really. It's it's the it's the it's very grateful. And also listening to them. Because what's the point of making something that is not it's not worth for anyone to use it? It's a big, it's a big shift, and I try to convert this shift to to my, you know, proud engineers. We had our debates because they always want to build the, you know, the next feature. But I told them, guys, an enterprise asks you to do something, you say yes, sir. It's not it's not debatable. Who are we to be smarter than some people that pay and use our product? Who are we to decide no, this is wrong, this is better, we are better. It's stupid. We are in a very fortunate situation to build a product that was driven largely by, you know, listening to customers. So, this is why I put Be Humble as the core value. That was the number one value, Be Humble. And that, it's, it's kind of very powerful. I think it attracts the right-minded people. It, it, uh, it helps create an atmosphere where people, are, uh, people listen to other people, listen to customers, people change their mind. Because, and to me, this is also very powerful. Change your mind, don't be stuck, I made a decision. Why do, we, why do we come back to this decision? We come back to this decision because we have more data. Every time you get more data, you come back to your decision. It's not about saving face, it's about getting an inch closer to the truth. So, being humble is very powerful. And then I was looking, but being humble is not enough because people make a confusion between being humble with being uh, submissive. And I don't want to create... Too, too modest, yeah. <laughs> too modest. So I, I told them, guys, we need to be bold in the same time. We need to have big goals. And the fastest company will always win. So we need to have big bold goals and achieve them fast. And the only way to do this is to be immersed in your work. Because I don't truly, I don't I never believe in the in the work-life uh, balance. I thought it's the right, it's the wrong word. We believe in the work-life cycles. We believe you have to always be immersed, kind of in both. If you are at work and you think what I'm doing at home, and if you are at home and you take your work with you, it's bad. But if you are immersed and you, you are in the state of flow, it's even psychological, it's a very powerful concept. If you're in the state of flow, you are very productive, you are happy, you don't get tired. So that was, you know, the essence. It's And to us, this is not, it's, I want to make clear that it, it doesn't mean we are these values, that we are humble or bold or fast, it means these are a framework for us that define how we make decisions, how we operate. We aspire in our thinking process to achieve these values.
1: Okay, super. Now, I know that you're an avid reader and you like to read a lot. Could you maybe give our SierraNet members, people that watch this the, the video, some advice on the books that you would, um, that you would uh, give them to read? What are the, the great books that you, uh, that you could share with us?
0: Yeah, I think first, uh, general advice. What served me well in, uh, in my job? And I think it's every executive will be served very well. It's to diversify a bit, you know, the, the scope of what they are reading. I know many people are reading quite a lot. But they are reading, uh, especially, you know, books about business stories, personal development. I think one uh, area that is neglected is like fiction, and uh, this is uh, it's people put so the greatest writers in this world put so much thinking, so much work. And to basically describing other people because fiction it's really about characters how they interact with each other how they develop over time so I think it's it's amazing it's, you can get amazing lessons in uh, in in getting on this so it's uh, it's interesting uh, one of the best book that I fiction book that uh, I read recently and i think to speaking about this situation with uh, you know russia and ukraine right now it's called a gentleman is in moscow and i think it's quite interesting because it's it's the story of a uh, russian aristocrat that was you know basically held hostage in moscow that was controlled by bolsheviks and his perspective on uh, things i think it's an it's an amazing book for it's extremely well written. It's people will be captivated by it.
1: Okay. And when can we expect your first book? Are you gonna be a writer at some point in your career? Is that an ambition that you have? Well, I never
0: stopped dreaming about it, but <laughs> unfortunately, my talent for writing it's it's very limited.
1: <laughs> now, another book that we can, of course, advise you is and I think yeah. you have a copy, is, is our Cionet cookbook. And so in there you find 25 recipes from master chefs that, uh, that really, I mean, some of the top digital leaders around the uh, globe are in there. So I hope you enjoy that book as well.
0: I think it's quite an interesting concept, really. It's a, it's a great idea, very easy to digest and easy to follow. And, you know, you can read it on your schedule. It's, it's a great addition.
1: Okay. Now, maybe a last question that I have for you. Uh, people that are watching our videos are, some of them are... Uh, very ambitious young entrepreneurs or they're uh, young digital professionals that want to build a career or that want to build a company. And, and I want to follow your footsteps and I want to be as successful as you are. So looking back over this, um, uh, what you have built over the last 25 years or so, what is what is it that you would advise your younger self? What is it advi- that you would advise young professionals today to become super successful like you are?
0: Look, I had uh, my darkest hours when I started as an entrepreneur, and it was extremely tough. And it was I, I had a lot of fear of failure and fear of ruining my career. But what I can tell tell them, it's worth trying because you don't ruin your career. Because you actually you enhance it quite a lot. You are facing you know, real problem. I, I, many people in early years at UiPath told me this is the best MBA ever. You will not find it. So I, I think fear, it's, it's something that kills the mind, you know, like in this great book, Dune, and the movie that was recent. Fear is a mind killer. You don't, you don't have to, there is no reason for fear great people will always have even if if failure in a startup it's it's a great resume for your next company it doesn't matter you are i think you will you will enhance your career so getting to know this i think it's very
1: powerful okay can i ask you one last question daniel i mean you're very successful but you also told that you, you you've done your mistakes so looking back what was your most brilliant failure that, 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 that you ever did and what did you learn from it?
0: Well, there were so many <laughs> that uh, <laughs> it's, t- it's tough to pick one, really. But I think most of them were... Uh, my, my biggest mistake was not uh, understanding enterprise sales and the role of enterprise sales in, uh, in building a company. And uh, so I thought really, and you know, your CIO audience will laugh at me, but I thought that uh, companies are, they are always have the time and bandwidth to discover all technology, test for themselves, and just use the best without. I was really surprised. So one of our first customers, you know, big, uh, Swiss company uh, insurance and reinsurance called Swissre so that was maybe first big enterprise customer and they asked me to go to Zurich to meet them in person to sign the contract i asked them why so i didn't really understand why they wanted to see me as a person and later on i understood how important it is to make human connection how important trust is between a vendor and and the customer, and how important they, these people put their career at stake. So the moment I understood this, again, it's like I completely pivoted in this direction. And I, uh, this is also an advice for, you know, other entrepreneurs, especially from a technical background like me. And I literally tell them, guys, if you want to be successful, don't you don't have to understand sales. You need to love sales. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And loving sales, actually, it's a love for customers in the end.
1: Okay. And on that note, Daniel, thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you for being here with us Uh, today. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to meeting you soon.
0: Thank you, Henrik. It was really an enjoyable interview. You've been a great host. Thank you so much.